This week's episode of the Cincy Shirts Podcast is brought to you by our partners at Gold Star, who figure into this week's episode. Check out our entire collection of Gold Star apparel at cincyshirts.com. Click on the Partners tab, drop-down menu, and select Gold Star Chili, Gold Star Chili, Small Batch Chili, and Handcrafted Hamburgers. Now, on with the show. This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 130. Today on our show, it's Chris Anderson from Science Around Cincy. Chris Anderson is a science educator and communicator whose passion is educating people and kids about how the world works around us. He has channeled that passion into a YouTube series called Science Around Cincy, in which, as the title suggests, he explores all things science in and around the Queen City. Chris talks to us about how the show came together, what his favorite science topics are, what kinds of science are around us in the tri-state, and more. Now, if you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it by PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and kick in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for the special promo code to get 20% off your next Cincy Shirts or cincyshirts.com order at the end of the episode. Now, let's talk about science. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati. C-I-N-C-I-N-N-E-T-I-Cincinnati She came down from Cincinnati Just maybe think of me once in a while I'm at CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati Well, uh, well thanks for doing this on sort of semi-short notice. Uh, we really appreciate hey, no it. No problem. Um, yeah, my, uh, I think my wife saw your... Uh, saw you on mentioned somewhere and said, "Hey, this guy might be a good guest for the podcast." <laughs> awesome! Well, that's great. Yeah, and so um, let's get your uh, your Cincinnati bona fides out of the way. Uh, are you from Cincinnati originally? Oh no, I'm going to fail miserably on this on this uh, on this portion of the of the of the test. <laughs> well, where are you from? I'm originally from the Cleveland area. Just uh, same. Josh is going to kill me. I. That's that. You know what? I feel. That Cincinnatians can at least appreciate if they moved cities, which isn't really a Cincinnati thing. But hypothetically, if a Cincinnatian were to move, they would still remain loyal to their hometown teams. Absolutely. So I hope I hope yeah. that they could, that you guys can well, appreciate it, that and not scare me for well, being a first of all what Cavs, what uh, what an Indian what uh, well not not for me obviously if you've heard the podcast. What part of Cleveland are you from? <laughs> uh, it's a little place called Elyria. Elyria. We were just near there. In fact, we just yeah yeah we were just, um I'm from Mentor. My wife is from Aurora. Okay. And we yeah, took so the uh, we took the Lake Erie Scenic Drive, and it took us along. So we went didn't go to Elyria south of Lorraine, but we went through Lorraine yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and uh, uh, my my college roommate is from Elyria. Wow, who's your yeah. college roommate? Jeff Hewitt. He's uh probably okay. way older than we're we're way older than you. So um, but it's funny you mentioned about the uh, the the sports teams because this is what I've always said. Um, my three. Three of my favorite teams are Cleveland teams, but we don't have a hockey team. So my favorite hockey team is the St. Louis Blues. And I've said for years, even if a team like, let's say the Tampa Bay Lightning moved to Cleveland, it would be yeah. very hard for me to root for a... Very hard. Very, because I've been, I've been invested in the Blues since 1980. So I wouldn't be yeah. mad at the Cleveland team. We should, we should have an NHL team, but I'm too far in. Conversely, same thing with FC Cincinnati. If Cleveland, say the crew moved, because Jimmy Haslam owns them now. Let's say for some reason yeah. he moved the crew to Cleveland. Well, that would be nice. 
but I'd still be rooting for FC Cincinnati because that's who I started with. So, so yeah, I, yeah, I think people get I, it. I have some friends who are big uh, English Premier League fans, and I I like soccer and I enjoy it, but I can't get into it because I can't just pick up a team. It's just not something I can do. I think I think that's just like kind of Cleveland thing. Like these are the thing because it's so like ingrained in the culture there, right? Yeah, like you. Like these, it's not just these are the teams you root for. Like this, your like life's rhythms are around sports seasons. Yeah, and and that's just it's kind of like this. It it's definitely the glue that breaks that brings the culture of that city together, and probably more so than a lot of other cities. So it's just kind of hard for me to like, oh, I'll be a Tottenham fan or I'm going to be an Arsenal fan. Like I just can't, I just can't do that. <laughs> oh, I know what you mean. See, I, growing up, I had a hockey team. Uh, the Crusaders, uh, we lost okay. them. The Barons moved in. I was yeah. an okay Barons fan, and then they uh, went and merged with the Minnesota North Stars, so I didn't have a team anymore, but I was still a hockey fan. So I was just dialing around the radio one night, and I heard the Dan Kelly calling a St. Louis Blues game, and, like, I'm in. <laughs> good enough. Yeah, it's, that's good yeah. enough. Yeah, so I was already following the sport, and I'd lost my team. But, yeah, I could see where it's like, since people are just becoming soccer fans, if you don't have a team – to start with, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I root for Liverpool in the Premier League, but it's not the same as my five North American teams like at all. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. So, um, so how did when did you come to Cincinnati? 2008. So, I had actually been in the – I went to Miami. I got a – I was an Evan Scholar that brought me to the area. So okay. I, uh, that's kind of what brought me into southwest Ohio. And then shortly – like right after I graduated – yeah, actually, around right around this time is when I got hired by Princeton High School, and I started my career there as a high school science teacher. For oh, okay, so in the old building. Yeah. Oh, yeah, in the old building. There you go. <laughs> in yeah. The old, in the old building, that's where I I taught. That's actually I I never had a classroom with windows, so I see some of these classrooms like, oh man, it'd be really nice to you know look outside and see the sun while you know, you're working. Turpin is like that. Where uh, my daughter's, well, my one daughter went and where my one daughter still goes. And mm-hmm. uh, it was built in 76. They had this crazy new age hippie idea of like, we're going to build it with all these open classrooms, open spaces. And yeah. then they realized they had to go back and retrofit it. And it was a complete catastrophe. They had these weirdly triangular rooms with no windows. And I think they've since in the past two or three years, they did a complete overhaul and made it actual classrooms now. Like it should have been done back in 1976. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's funny. So, are you still at Princeton, or are you at you're at NKU now? What I don't. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard. It's a little convoluted. So I haven't been at Princeton in a while. So what I do now is by day I I work for the Hamilton County ESC. Oh. So okay. if yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with with that. So um, most most counties in the country, all counties in Ohio, have what's called an ESC which is Educational Service Center, which isn't a government organization. It's basically a nonprofit in name that provides support to classrooms, schools, school districts, other educational organizations, any number of things. They do any number of outsourced services. So there's professional development, there's ESL services, there's early childhood stuff there's state support team compliance things so what i do i work in one department that just works with Cincinnati for the most part Cincinnati public mostly Cincinnati public and my my day job is to work and coach the teachers of cps 
So that's kind of what I do during the day. And then on the side, I am the host and executive producer of Science Round Cincy. And that is a collaboration between Northern Kentucky University, the ESC, kind of myself as a somewhat independent entity, but that's really not important. It's, it's more or less a collaboration between the county, the ESC, and, and KU. And we produce this this web series that's uh, in our second season. And when did it start? Well, last year. Uh, last year, I got a small grant from Fuel Cincinnati to, uh, to produce the series. And we did eight episodes. Uh, so you got that grant in April, and we started shooting shortly thereafter, and we shared our episodes in the fall and a little bit in January. We, we got a little sidetracked with, with production, but it was great. We got a lot of great feedback for that first, first season, and we've gotten more funding and able to expand and expand our team and hopefully get more, more kids uh, interested in science and teaching them you know, cool science concepts. So did you have kind of a vision of what kind of things you wanted to talk about at first, or did you just think, well, it'll be easy to shoot this, or this is something <laughs> I've always wanted to explain to people? Well, I'm, you got to remember, I'm not a producer by trade uh, in so much that I didn't. That's not obviously what I went to school for. I went to school to be a science teacher. That said, there is a lot of skills you get as a, as a teacher that help in being a producer. You're, you're, you're basically – the t- teaching is a uh, – it's a performance art, right? Like you got to prepare how you, you know, you got to prepare your notes. You're basically, you're a writer and you're a producer. You got to get all your materials together. You got to think about how things are going to flow, you know, the agenda of the day, all that sort of thing goes into teaching. It also goes into production, but I really didn't have like a good idea of what would be feasible to shoot. What wouldn't be feasible. What I knew were two things. One, I, I'm, I know the curriculum of science really well. So what each grade learns. And I knew I wanted to hit mostly middle school science concepts because I think it would have given us the broadest audience. So high school kids could relate to it if they wanted to brush up on stuff they forgot. Uh, you know, small, uh, younger kids could, who were really interested in science, could also watch and get something out of it. And honestly, most adults have about a middle school understanding of science. So that just kind of hit a lot of different uh, a lot of different things we were looking for for an audience. So I wanted to do stuff within the middle school science curriculum that I knew really well. But then the second thing is that I wanted to get a pretty diverse array of scientists, both in their background and in what they study, because I wanted lots of different, lots of different perspectives. And I wanted the kids not just to see all what's out there, but to see themselves and the scientists. So we tried to be as broad as we possibly could, both with the subject matter and then the scientists them, themselves. And do you have like loads of ideas like uh, in the hopper or do you, does, oh, does, yeah. does something come up and like, oh, this would be a good thing to, to, to discuss on the show? <laughs> yes, and. Okay, totally cool. Yes, and. Yeah, I mean, we like – we did 16 episodes this second season, which is double what we did last time. And I'm looking at what we could do potentially do for a third season pending, you know, whatever financial support we get. And I like, Oh crap, this, this could be just as much, if not more, like there's, there's no shortage of things to things to feature or, or stories to tell, which is great. You know, it's from a, 
from a from a creator standpoint that it's a we're in, I have an embarrassment of riches. But yeah, things come up all the time, and even more so now, now that the show's getting a little more press and people are becoming more aware of it. Yeah, we're starting to get people to reach out like, hey, have you thought about this? Or oh, we'd be really interested in working with you and, and eventually doing something. So, but until this is a it's a full time job, it, it'll be hard to crank out videos really quickly. But uh, we're we got the second season almost almost wrapped for filming, and we're editing away. We'll be editing for probably the next two months and getting this stuff out there probably middle of September. Oh, just in time for back to school. Yeah, that's 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 the idea is to give get this resource out as kids get back. That way, you know, any student who are who's in the classroom or remote learning or whatever can have plenty of access to great science material. Do you have a, a favorite area of science? Were you like a general science teacher <laughs> in high school or? So I taught biology for a few years, and I was taught freshman physical science, which is it's kind of a little bit of chemistry and a little bit of like pre-algebra physics. And I became a very good chemistry teacher, mostly because I struggled with it myself. And so I knew where kids were going to have some trouble understanding stuff. And if you think about it, chemistry is hard because you're thinking of something very abstract. I can't, we can, there's no lab I can do where I can crack open an atom and show you the constituent parts, right? <clears throat> but... Uh, there are things you could do to make it as tactile as you could. And I, that's what we did. And I really enjoyed teaching that chemistry part. But when I taught biology, my favorite thing to teach was evolution. I love teaching evolution. I, I mean, even now I love reading about evolution and learning about it. It's just a cool subject. And uh, the kids would get into it. It'd be really, really great. And how does uh, evolution fit into something I'm kind of interested in lately, paleontology, particularly like uh, how – how well, not how, – how do I put this? How North Americans found North America, I guess is the way you had to keep coming right. across the land bridge. And there was also this uh, one uh, thing I saw, some documentary I saw that talked about uh, not only did they come across the land bridge, some of them boated down the coast and wound up in the Catalina Islands off uh, Los Angeles. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, so anyway, how does, does – th I guess evolution is much uh, – involves a much longer spectrum of time, I reckon. Would that It can. Depend, yeah. It depends on the species. Oh, that's, on what, oh, that's how, true. How yeah, yeah. They, yeah, how quickly they reproduce. Because I remember learning uh, about the pepper moth when I was in uh, – yep. Yeah, there you go, in, in college, yeah. Everybody loves those pepper moths. They do. Uh, questions. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I forgot about those buggers. <laughs> they, 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 you see them in high school tests all over from like statewide tests. It's just, I mean, and it's for good reason. It's a really obvious, uh, example of, of evolution in a relatively short amount of time yeah. and in a time that, that, that most humans can't observe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that brings me to another question. Why do people have such a problem wrapping their head around and or accepting science? And I will call myself out on this, by the way, because something that, that <laughs> I do that's very unscientific is I buy my wife lottery tickets, even though I know that <laughs> it's astronaut the odds are astronomically against us. In fact, West, the West Virginia Lottery Commission used to have a really funny commercial. Uh, they yeah. said, we know there's a, you have a better chance of getting hit by a meteor than winning the lottery. And then this, they'd hear the sound, this little puff of smoke, and they'd say, but there's no prize for getting hit by a meteor, which is really funny. But they, but <laughs> Religion, what they're saying was true. It was like, yeah, you do have a better chance of being hit by a meteor, as astronomical as that is, than winning the damn lottery. 
and yet I still do it. <laughs> yeah. So why why do yeah. people why do people think you think have a you know we try to explain science concepts and people say well if you take the look at the science people are like I'm not having any of that. I just right. want to observe what's in front of me, and that's all I can understand. Well, so a couple things. So let, so let me answer your first question. So with paleontology, paleontology is really about the evidence we can find for past life. And how that relates to evolution is we can see a snapshot of a living thing in time. And so we can see its adaptations. We can see how it lived. And we can see a lot about what the environment was like based off, off that evidence in paleontology. And it also gives us some context with how other things have, have changed over time. Because that's really all evolution is. Evolution is just species changing over time. And you can see that. I mean, you can see bacteria change over time. If you make your own yogurt at home, you can, you know, your culture changes, you know, it adapts to the milk that you provide it. If you, um, you know, read the news, you know that there's bacteria that are becoming more resistant to antibiotics, and that's basic natural selection. And uh, that's all that means. It's just species changing over time, where I think people (laughs) have the cognitive dissonance is that for some folks, if species change over time, that can mean that God doesn't exist. And the thing is, science, you're, you're, they're asking different questions, religion and science and by extension evolution. Science isn't asking why we're here. That's not asking. It's just saying how things have changed or what things are and how, how they, things got to where they, they, they are today. Religion's asking a different question. It's asking why are we here? What's, what's our greater purpose? How do we fit in, in you know, the universe and life as a whole? And so you're not really they're not really a- answering the same the same questions. I had a colleague, a wonderful, brilliant biology teacher. She teaches over at Schroeder and she is is a woman of great faith. And she teaches high school biology in her Bible study. You know, compatriots would ask her, well, why? How can you teach science? And she's like, I, and still believe in God. And so like, there are, it's different things. I know I feel that God exists as my faith. But, you know, I as a scientist, I go off evidence. Um, there's you can't prove God one way or another. So it's really not asking the science doesn't ask that question. So I think that's but I think that's where people get get emotional about evolution is because I feel like if if things change over time then we might change over time then we're not as special and we're not created by a god and then if that's not true then god might not exist so that's that's my (laughs) that's my thought on that now now that we've gotten super meta and deep on on ourselves well even things like climate change you know which yeah they can you can demonstrably prove uh you know it's it's people still like "Mm, nope not buying it sorry and it's like Okay. Um, and, yeah. And there was this other thing in the in the the seventies. Um, someone was asking me, and this is something I actually do know a little bit about. Uh, when we had the, the blizzards back in, in fact, we have a T-shirt. I survived the blizzard yeah. of seventy-eight. Check it so, out on the website. Uh, oh yeah. Well, there was a, a thing that there. Scientists are we entering a new ice age? And what people don't understand is that the the ice age we were supposed to be entering and climate change were two completely different things. 
Right. Yeah, on a, on a, and maybe you know something about this as well, or know more than I do, probably, is that at the time, we were supposed to be on a, a track to going toward another ice age because we were coming out of another ice age, and global warming and climate change were a completely different concept that were coming into this, and people seem to mix the two and go, how can you have an ice age if you have global warming? Well, I think there's a few things that people forget, and I think it's easy to think that oh, the climate doesn't change, because and like, oh, the climate always changes. Like, it has always changed. The cli- climate does change, but you're talking about patterns that exist over decades. And what's happening now is that the rate of change is so fast. It's never been seen before in the history of our planet. Our, our planet's had atmospheric carbon that's been way more than it is today. It was like triple the amount of, of carbon dioxide at the time of the dinosaurs. It actually wasn't a very fun place to live. There were all these super hurricanes, super hot, or like jungles at the poles. It wasn't actually that cool. But, uh, you know, it's the rate of change now that we're just, that we've dumped, you know, we, we've almost uh, doubled the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere over the last three or 400 years. That's just never, ever happened before. That's the, the it's a blink of an eye in, in a, on a planet that's over four and a half billion years old. So um, I, I think there's just also a, a reticence for science in this country. It's just kind of a thing. Like we, we like the, there's, there's a thing in America where Americans are, they don't want to question or, or move the status quo or question their own, their own thought process. So, and new evidence is antithetical to that, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't square. So it's easy for the human brain to say something isn't real or doesn't exist than it is to conf- completely conform, change your worldview. It's a hard thing. It's just, it's how our brains have been wired since the, <laughs> you know, the, the dawn of our species. So what have been some of your favorite episodes to do so far of, uh, of the show? <sighs> you know, it, they're all, they're all special in their own, <laughs> their own way. It's just like, just like teachers, you know, they are, every kid is, is great in their own, in their own way. Uh, but anytime we get to go out in the field with the scientists is always a lot of fun. So the, that first season when we got out to do to do some fossil hunting, that was really cool and look find trilobite fossils. Or when we, uh, you know, got to go out and look for frogs in the middle of the, the you know, the night in like a Kentucky wetland, that was really neat. So we, uh, we went to, we're going to, uh, or we went to Mammoth Cave back in. Uh, January. So we'll be sharing that episode in, in September. And that was really cool. <laughs> so any, any time we can go out and get our hands dirty and go out and, you know, have fun in, in, in the field with the scientists is always a fun episode to shoot. Yeah. So we're like the trilobite capital of the world. In fact, is the trilobite yeah. is like the official fossil of the state of Ohio. Cause I think we have a shirt it, that says that. It is the official fossil of the state of Ohio. If, uh, if you want to have another person on your podcast, you can speak to, this way more than I can is uh, Brenda Hunda because she's the invertebrate paleontologist at the museum center and her specialty is trilobites. Uh-huh. And they're, I mean, they existed for double the amount of time as the dinosaurs for like 250 million years. Trilobites were on earth, which is crazy. Like you can't, you can't think what a quarter of a billion years is. It just doesn't, your brain isn't, we, we have no reference point for that. And they just were everywhere. So <laughs> twice the amount of time the dinosaurs were here. And yeah, they're, they're everywhere. They're everywhere in our limestone because our limestone is from like 
450 to like 350 million years old, which is still really, really old. <laughs> but that gives you an idea like how how old the Earth is and how it has changed over time. It was ba- back when the trilobites were around. It was basically a different planet. And, oh yeah. Well, this uh, was a, gr- yeah. a great. This was a great inland sea that we're yeah. sitting in right now. Yeah. Yeah, it was inland sea. It was pretty shallow, pretty pretty warm. So think like you know the Caribbean kind of thing, and no fish. Fish hadn't really evolved yet for the most part, and you had a bunch of weird stuff. And there was no land plants yet either. They hadn't they hadn't evolved yet, so the, the land was like barren. It's just these braided streams are just eroded over bare rocks. There's no soil, <laughs> and the sky would have been a different color because it would have been a different atmospheric composition so it was it was literally a different planet like it was a complete if you'd go there if you get a time machine go back there like this is not earth there's no way it could be earth and it it was and it gives you an idea how those how like i said how the planet has changed over half a billion years of of evolution and do do trilobites live on in some other creature today because they look a little familiar when you're not really oh really so the, the closest thing is a it's is a horseshoe crab. That's what I thought. Okay, but it's it's kind of it's just not quite the same. Uh, the same taxonomy. Tax, it's not the, quite the same. <laughs> it's not quite the same species. Uh, they they were just a little bit a little bit different. Uh, but that, but that's a cool part about teaching evolution. You know, like people just ask questions. They just like they think like, wait, what? What what was this like back then? And you know. They're like trilobites were just everywhere, and what were they? What's the closest thing? There's there's nothing like them today, and they had, you know, they existed for how long? That that's the cool part about evolution is that, you know, such a successful species was around forever for a really long time, and then it just wasn't. It just ran out of evolutionary luck, and it just became a dead end. And yeah, it's I love it. I love I love talking about about that sort of thing. It's just it's so cool. Well, what's really neat is you could I could walk out into my backyard, walk down into the creek, which is still about eight hundred odd feet above sea level, and yeah. there's trilobites in there. Not only that, there's little um, yep. I don't know what they're what they are if they're uh, if they're plants or animals, but they're little like stick little fossils that look yeah. like branches. What are those? What those are those are probably crinoids. So Ooh. they were animals actually, but they were more akin ah. to. Like a, like a sea anemone, they looked like hands sticking out of the bottom of the flo- of the sea floor. And so what you're seeing with those little circles, oh. they're like the cross section of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And they just kind of grabbed food, like little pieces of food as they, as it went by. And, uh, yeah, that's, but that's what those are. Wow. And that yeah, is so, yeah, but that's what I mean. That, that the ocean was full of weird stuff, weird stuff you wouldn't even, you wouldn't recognize today. Wow. Uh, so what other kind of like science things are around Cincinnati that people might not know are like a thing? <laughs> well, there's I mean, there's there, for, like you said, you can go out into your backyard, any creek bed you've got and look for trilobites. Um, there's lots of really great science stuff. If you're like a parent and you, you're you're you know, your kid w- wants to get into science. There's great stuff at the museum center. There's great stuff with iSpace. Uh, the cool thing about science is that you can find it anywhere you really look hard enough. So, for example, we did we're doing an episode this season on cheese w- with uh, oh, Stephanie yeah. Webster from the Rhine, and you know you don't think about that all the time, but like that's basic 
management of micro, um, you know, of microbacteria. And, uh, that that's what makes cheese. So we make cheese together. We talk about what those bacteria need for their environment to grow and to make, and to make cheese. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, there's just so much out there. There's great researchers. There's really cool companies that are doing like some startup stuff like 80 acre farms is they're able to grow like almost a hundred times more food in their facility than a, than a conventional farm would in of, of a similar area. So there's just all sorts of neat things out there. But if, yeah, if you're a parent and you, you know, your kid is really interested in science and there's tons of great organizations that they, that they can work with. You mentioned cheese. A kitchen's a good place to start because I've been doing, of course, oh, yeah. since the lockdown, I've been doing a lot of cooking. And, yeah. uh, you, you know, things start to make more sense once you're doing that a lot. You know, the chemistry of, of cooking and, and why things go together and why some things don't go together and why, you know, some ingredients help other ingredients do other things. And it's it's, yeah. it's really interesting. Um, have there been any kind of, like, funny mishaps while filming uh, any of the episodes? Uh, the power went out on us for the bailout. Here uh, for the bailout episode, there's a, a, a group of engineers that have a design that allows for rescue workers to um, be able to jump out of buildings from oh, wow. like four or five stories up and be safe. And they're they've gotten their their design down from um, I think like a tennis ball canister down to about the size of a hockey puck, and that's really it's really awesome. Cause it's saving lives, but we were, we were going through there, you know, they, they work in this airplane hangar of the, of the facility where they can, you know, test their, test their design and all that. And <laughs> we're like doing our wrap and like lights go out, like all the lights go out. Go out. <laughs> like what, what do we do here? <laughs> so that was fun. I noticed you've done uh, a couple episodes involving animals um, does that, yes. th- have those all gone smoothly? Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've all gone as about as smoothly as you, as you can. I would, I would say, uh, we weren't really handling too many of them, but, uh, yeah, it was a, th- they've all gone well. We haven't had any like animal attacks or anything like that. And is there like, a? you said you were working for the, uh, the education, uh, department. Uh, but is there a, a, an area that people, because I know we're, we're, we hear a lot about, you know, we need to have more, you know, math, science, getting teachers and, and things, and, and just that kind of uh, curriculum in the schools. Is there uh, a direction that, that schools are going more towards, or is it all of those things at the same time, or what's what's kind of the trend? Well, what's I th- what's tough is that a lot of kids don't get consistent everyday science until they get to fifth grade because that's when it's first tested. So there's Ah. not always a ton of push to teach science early on with kids. And that's something I try to emphasize with any teachers I, I work with is that kids need to be learning science at at an early age and they want to, that's the fun thing. They, they get so engaged and excited to, to learn it's easy, you know, it's, it's low hanging fruit in terms of getting your kids engaged with science. So you got to get them engaged early on. So that way, by the time they get to fifth grade, they've got some science skills. They know how to do observation and how to measure things and maybe how to graph some things without, you know, otherwise you're kind of behind the ball once you get to fifth grade. 
but you know, there's also encouraging signs because more schools are adopting more STEM programs, uh, and that's great because a lot of those projects are much more open-ended and they let kids really explore their world and test things and try things. And, you know, if something works great, if it doesn't work, well, let's talk about that and learn why it didn't work. That's where the learning happens, right? Is when a student tries something that it doesn't work and they figure out why, like that's the essence of, of, of learning. Yeah. It's, um, it's strange because I know that I'm thinking about it. I, I'm pretty sure it was before fifth grade. I was, you know, they'd have books at the library. Simple science fun was, remember was one of them. And it had, you know, the old standard putting the, the, the flaming paper in the, in the bottle with the egg on top to suck the egg in. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and all those. So, yeah, so it's, it's weird that it's fifth grade, I guess, that – yeah, you're right. I, I'm, I'm thinking it was probably seventh grade when uh, I took a, a science class in school that was actually a whole mm-hmm. class dedicated for the whole year to science. And I, I can't remember what – I think it was probably general science, I, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's just it. Especially even with kids younger than that, when they're in first, second, third grade, you can do really easy stuff to 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 get your kids engaged in science and learn learn science. And you know, so I'm, if you're an elementary teacher, you know, don't be afraid. Like, get your kids out there. Let them let them get their hands dirty. Let them let them try stuff. Let them get in the dirt and try to find bugs and worms and you know, plant plant a little pollinator garden and see what happens and have them keep a journal. Like do that stuff. They, they will love it. They will love it. And then by the time they get older, they will be more apt for science. Uh, and they'll have some of those basic skills. So that way, by the time they get to middle school and high school, they could be doing some really cool stuff. Yeah. And speaking of bugs, uh, around this time, you're pretty much up to our navel in them. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, the, and we want to make sure we got all of like a, a diversity of bugs. That's the you know we don't want just like mosquitoes because they're kind of a they can be kind of a dead end in an ecosystem. They're not, yeah, you want a diversity of insects and pollinators. You know, for it's good for the plants, it's good for the birds. That's that's all that feeds in on itself. I saw the most interesting thing uh, at Kings Island. My daughter and I went just to kind of see uh, how that was all going to w- work out. So we went late last Wednesday. And uh, we were walking onto one of the rides, and I looked down, and there's these two ants carrying us, both of them helping each other carry a stick. And, like, I wanted to see how it turned out, but, of course, the line was moving, so I couldn't. <laughs> but it was just fascinating just to, to watch that. And uh, Josh has said before on the show that uh, his favorite thing at the zoo is uh, the insect building. And they have that big, long tube where the ants, like, march from yeah. one of the, and they and they build stuff. And you could you could spend hours watching that. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Isn't it funny that watching ants go by can be more entertaining <laughs> than an amusement park? Yeah, especially uh, <laughs> these days. Yeah, and uh, of course we have. Um, and maybe you know something about this. No one's really talked about this much, but we're we're due for cicadas again uh, yeah. next year. Is it next year? I, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, that's right. You're I'm not surprised they weren't this year. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, I don't remember them being that bad around us uh, in the Cleveland area. But I guess every 17 years, they're terrible here, and, yeah. or whatever it is, 17 or 18. I don't know. As I recall, I don't think they were that bad last time. My wife disagrees. But, yeah, I remember growing up in Cleveland, we never had a cicada problem. I mean, that's just uh, – <laughs> I, I guess that's just a, it's a regional thing because I know they're bad in other parts of the country, but they're, a, they're different broods, as they say. That's right. Yeah, yeah, there's different they, – they're, 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 those populations have different rhythms. Yeah, and what is it, every 17 years they – they 
no matter what the yeah, it's like it depends on the population. I think some are seventeen, some are twenty one, some oh, are okay. like twelve. Yeah, I you'd have to ask an insect expert, which we do have plenty here in the city. So you'd have to like bring somebody, one of those folks on, like pick their brain about that because that could be a cool episode too. I was gonna say for, yeah. for both of us, for both exactly, of us. yeah, yeah. So do you have like uh, experts, you know, volunteering their services to be on the show and say, hey, we, l- let me come on and talk about this? Yeah, we've had a, a couple people reach out to us now, which is which is great. That first season, we kind of. I kind of utilize my network and, you know, people just outside of it for the most part, although I did make some cold calls. And for the most part, people were welcoming us into their labs and lives. You know, scientists want to get the word out about their about their work. Uh, but now, yeah, we have people saying, hey, I'm a scientist or researcher. I, I work with, uh, you know, with insects or I work with spiders or I work with, um, you know, lake ecology. And they're reaching out to us, which is a pretty cool thing. And uh, well, we've had a couple folks on the show. We had the uh, the president of the museum center on. Uh, we also had our fr- a guy that fell, fell into science. You probably know uh, Dean Regis. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, have you had him on yet, or are you have plans to have him? Or we haven't had Dean on yet, but we would like to do something at the observatory here, here, here soon. Yeah, because uh, well, that's a good. That's I think a good introduction point for kids is uh, is space, which is probably what got me interested. Uh, in science to begin with yeah it's it's one of those things the first time you really see jupiter or saturn's rings you know it 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 does change like your perspective like you know you could you look at pictures and books and you're like you know okay saturn's got rings jupiter's got a bunch of moons but until you see it yourself in a telescope like that like oh oh my god there's an entire like huge planet out there not even not even that far away yeah you know and and those like those moments are so important for kids because they get kids thinking about how the world works how the universe works and they're uh you know it's just so inspirational it gets them excited like it's and freaking cool man <laughs> like well, who, who doesn't who doesn't like think about like oh getting in a spaceship and going to another planet and seeing what that's like you exactly know? i think that's just fundamental to to like who we are as, as, as a species. Yeah. When I was a kid, I, I got a cheap telescope and my mom's friend showed me, he said, well, if you point it towards those three stars, there's the belt and Orion, you can see the nebula in there. And even with just, you know, a modest telescope, you can see it and you, you'll probably recognize it when you do see it. It's, it's in a lot of pictures. It's a, it's a backdrop for a lot of, you know, space stuff in fiction, but that you can see the actual thing from Earth, provided there's a lot of mm-hmm. light pollution. That's, that's really interesting uh, to see. And like you said, you can, you can see the, uh, the Jovian moons, uh, the Jupiter's four biggest moons. Uh, that's right. That, that's pretty cool to see. So, yeah, and I guess the only other thing that would be an entry point, I would say second to that, or maybe I would say nowadays probably even above space, is uh, in just in the last couple of generations, dinosaurs really got kids. Dinosaurs are cool. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and do we owe yeah. that to, like, because I guess the, the space thing you would owe to Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, and mm-hmm. the dinosaur thing, I reckon you would have to. Well, for me, the stones, Fred and Barney, and yeah. but for kids, Jurassic Park and 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 that sort of affair. Do you, Jurassic Park, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would even say, you know, the Apollo program, probably for the generation or so before us, is what inspired that generation to go into science and engineering. Yeah, seeing people on the moon is a pretty amazing thing. Uh, but absolutely, Jurassic Park has inspired 
lots of paleontologists to go into that field. I mean, think of how I was like seven or eight when that movie came out. And I remember my dad taking me to go see it. And my mom was like, oh, this might be kind of intense for a seven-year-old. And my dad, typical dad fashion, like, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> be fine. It doesn't matter. So we went during the matinee, and we came home. My mom was, like, a little nervous, like, you know, how, how to go? And I was just like, it was just, like, the greatest thing. And I was like, the diet, like, the velociraptors were, like, jumping on people and ripping them apart. And I had, you know, jumped on the love seat and yeah. got to the, <laughs> the cushions off with my teeth. You know, like, heck yeah, that, that inspired you know, a generation of, of scientists and dinosaur lovers. I and mean, dinosaurs are cool. I, I mean, think about the first time we saw that movie, like how real it was. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it's it still holds the test of time. You can watch it now and you're like, wow, that is impressive special effects. And you I was going to say, like the yeah, are there. exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's it, you know, it's and it's a uh, weirdly it's a it, that's a Michael Crichton thing. And it. it yeah. Yeah. So that's because I remember reading. Um, what was the the time travel book he did? Um, in the, in the forward of that, he said, uh, he said, look, I consulted some scientist friends about this and did the best I could to make this plausible. He goes, but they would find it laughable. But it's the only way I could make it work. <laughs> so he apologized at the beginning. Whereas Jurassic Park, I see, it seems much more plausible. Well, yeah, you, maybe you could find some DNA and some amber. Yeah. In fact, I think. Um, I was just seeing on John Oliver's show, weirdly, they took uh, <laughs> a, a piece of – they used a laser printer and recreated the vocal cords of uh, an Egyptian mummy to kind of mimic Jeez. what the what the, what, what the person would have sounded like. And wow. so they ran air through and they, and they got the sound. So, yeah, there's – you know, stuff yeah. like that is cool. And then when they do those facial reconstructions of what, you know, ancient peoples used to look like, that's, that's cool stuff. Um, so do you think pop culture really can play – because I know people – I always think it's probably what drove kids away from science. But in a strange way, if you think about it, they can actually drive kids, you know, towards science and, you know, other disciplines, not just be a bunch of cave painters like like I am. <laughs> well, but, well, there is value in cave painting. There is there is there is definitely value in expressing oneself through art. Oh, sure. Um, and, and there is a I, I, I always say, like, there's a huge creative aspect to science and to, to for scientists to think of how they're going to answer their questions. It's one thing to think of a question. It's a whole other thing to figure out sometimes how you're going to even answer it and collect your data. Uh, a lot of, There is a lot of creativity there. But absolutely, pop culture helps with influencing kids. I mean, think of a lot of kids in my generation. They think of Bill Nye as probably that he, he was the science teacher of, of that generation. He was on after school on a very accessible uh, you know, platform of, of television, especially at the time. And, you know, if you thought about, it, you know, you came home at three and you had your after school snack and you probably watched Bill and I, or you watched it in school and it was funny. It was entertaining. And he made concepts and science pretty understandable for, for kids. Um, and he's influenced thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to go and become, become scientists and that's that's a pretty awesome thing and, now, and he's still doing it that's the thing you know he's he's still part of pop culture he's still he's still in the zeitgeist very much so yeah more than ever in some ways um and if you think yeah. about it, it you know there's science that's not only around you like externally 
but more so kind of internal, like even in the, the job I do, not just recording the podcast, but the other thing I do for Cincy Shirts, uh, I work for our sister site, and we're always just kind of wondering, well, what's going to work? What's going to get people to, you know, look at this shirt and to buy this shirt? And why are these shirts selling and these shirts? And it's a lot of like, you know, A-B testing and finding out why things work and, and being able to uh, – one of the key things in science, of course, is being able to uh, propose a theory and then be able to recreate it um, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, with uh, ex- there's reproducibility. Uh, repro- right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so, and that's people probably don't even realize they're doing science in their own jobs. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, and and we want to broaden what it means to be a scientist because I think there's lots of kids out there who think that scientists are people who are in a lab coat and who are, you know. They live in, they like hide in their, in their labs and they, and they take their data and that's kind of the world they live in. But like, that's not really what a scientist is. You don't even have to be a researcher to be a scientist. It's, it's a much broader, bigger umbrella than I think kids realize. Yeah, and I'm just thinking now too. When we were talking about this, uh, the, the pop culture influence, I would say the third most influential, uh, thing on pop culture and science and uh, science has become popular is forensics. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, there's tons. Almost every high school, I think, offers a forensic science elective. Yeah, I teach in the uh, Super Saturday course, and there is uh, for a while there was a lady that taught a, uh, a CSI type uh, program and and taught forensics. And I think my wife's uh, high college, one of her college roommates, is uh, actually is a, a forensic detective out in in Las Vegas. So, and this is before wow. it was popular to do that. This is well, I guess Quincy was still Quincy's probably before your time, but uh, remember old Quincy, Jack Klugman. Yeah, he was. Yeah, so he was uh, for the young people who don't know. Uh, it was in the seventies. Jack Klugman, who you may know better from the sitcom uh, The Odd Couple, he was the messy yes. one. Uh, he yeah, he was. He played a uh, a coroner in Los Angeles, and basically it was it was a forensic show. It, it predated CSI. He would you know this they they bring the body in and they'd say ah just give us the autopsy Quince and we'll be on our way. And he did this was murder, Sam. This guy didn't fall <laughs> off a building. Yeah, so, uh, so I'm thinking back now. It just does go back uh, quite a ways. It's kind of interesting to see how um, how pop culture uh, has, has influenced science. And now you're coming around full circle and making a, yeah. a YouTube show to, to, to help, uh, you know, young people, really everybody. I mean, it, like you said, it's you're targeting middle schoolers, but, uh, you know, the episodes I watched, you know, pretty cool. You were explaining the herd mentality uh, for yeah. one, which is very, very timely right now. Can, and could you, could you run over that again real quickly? Because I think that's for folks who... Uh. Not the herd yeah, mentality, the herd, um, herd inoculation. Herd immunity. Herd immunity. Yeah, it. it's definitely going to be something we're going to be sharing yeah, more. Yeah. So how herd immunity works is when a population, when a, a certain amount of a, of a certain population, doesn't have to be humans, could be trees, could be dogs, could be anything. If you get to a certain level of immunity within that population, so let's say like 80% of the individual are immune to a certain disease, that disease can't really it, – it, it just goes to dead ends. It can't be communicable. It doesn't, it doesn't get transferred. And so for people who are not immune, that's really helpful because it keeps them from getting the disease. It's Like I said, it just kind of goes to dead ends, right? So for things like measles or um, you know the flu, those are really important things – to get your vaccines for, because if you're vaccinated and you're immune, 
then you're not only not going to get sick, you're going to protect other people from getting sick, potentially if we get to herd immunity. And so, you know, back in the 60s, 70s and 80s, there was a in the 90s, really, there was a huge push for vaccines for kids. And all those childhood diseases like whooping cough and measles and mumps, all they all went down because every kids were immune and those diseases had nowhere to go. Well, now that you have people not choosing not to vaccinate their children, that's putting a lot of other kids at risk and you see a lot of those rates go up. Now, it's going to be important now that we're in a pandemic still, kind of a pandemic, 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 what are you doing? Is that people got to get their flu shots because a bad flu season can strain healthcare systems um, at any time. But um. now that they're already stressed, a, a bad flu season could be potentially catastrophic. So what we need is everybody to get their flu shots this year. Get your flu shots. Make sure that you are immune to getting sick uh, from, from the flu. I have one. That's going to keep other people from getting sick from the flu. And then hopefully it's not as bad of a flu season. And then our doctors and nurses and other healthcare folks can focus on people who, who end up getting uh, COVID. Uh, I'm going to be anecdotal again. I'm going to be non-scientific, yeah. but I, the one year I went, to, I decided to get the flu shot because they're giving them free where I was working. I swear to God, I got the flu from it, and I hadn't had the flu in years. <laughs> and maybe it was just a coincidence. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't even the flu, but I, I had never been, I hadn't been that sick in years. And the other thing is, um, isn't are they don't they usually guess at what flu strain is coming out or is that a is that an urban myth that they don't really know what flu they're just kind of taking their best shot at it because well, it could... it, it's 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 not quite like a pinata blindfold it, they the the for example the flu se- it's flu season right now in the southern hemisphere right okay they're in their winter months and pe- more people are indoors and so they look at the trends in other countries and they predict based on those trends what what the flu will be like here so because you can't you can't effectively have a vaccine for every single flu strain that pops up so you need to have an educated guess on what is going to be what is going to be prevalent in a particular particular flu season so uh yeah, it's like I said, it's not, it's not, they don't put the blindfold on and spin around and try to okay. get out of it. I think it was like it's, that, but I, I know sometimes it isn't like exactly, but my wife gets hers every year and I reckon I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give it another go this year. Cause like you said, it's, uh, definitely the, um, the, the risks, uh, it definitely outweigh the, the, the catastrophic results that could happen if not everybody, you mm-hmm. know, does that. Cause, uh, I don't think people are thinking that far ahead. But um, so uh, science around Cincy can be found on YouTube. Do you have any other like – do you – any little mini like Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, anything like that? Yes, we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find us at Sci around Cincy with a Y. Okay. I know there's a website so people can probably suggest uh, ideas to you. Yeah. Go, if, if folks are interested in, uh, you know – Working with us, getting getting our materials out to out to kids, being featured, they can uh, they can email us at uh, just sigharoundcincy at gmail oh, cool. And we I also want to make sure that folks know that all our episodes come with uh, uh, learning materials and resources. So there's discussion guides and activities oh, that most most of which you can do at home if you're remote learning or with your kids. And another thing I noticed too, I've, I've noticed is watching more YouTube videos lately because my that's how my daughters mostly watch TV. Is that uh, the episodes are pre- pre- 
between two to eleven minutes long, I reckon, from the ones I've seen. Is that is that correct? So our main episodes are between like nine and eleven minutes. Yep. Okay. And then all we ha- we do have shorter episodes that are two, three, four minutes long t- as well. Yeah, I guess that, is that like is eleven minutes the sweet spot? Because I was watching a Defunct Land is one that my uh, daughter watches a lot, and he was saying that. Um, he was, I forgot what he was talking about. He said, I have the, the, whatever the subject was. He says, like, uh, I'm going to break this into two parts because I can't make this just an 11 mm-hmm. minute video. So we're going to have two, uh, two, and I guess that just must be the, the, uh, the sweet spot now for YouTube watchers, uh, is the 11 minute mark. It's, you know, there's, there is a study a while ago that showed that a person can, focus on something for about a minute every year they've been alive <laughs> and and that means like i taught freshmen and i had anything more than like 15 20 minutes if huh. I asked, like i was playing with house money like if i was i'm over <laughs> 20 minutes like i better we better change gears in some aspect yeah yeah so we do want to keep the videos shorter and quicker and you know we don't well, want scenes to drag on for too long and you know, we, we want it so that kids, it, it can be accessible for kids. That you, The kids could watch it on the way home on the bus if they, if they ever have to get a chance to get on the bus yeah. again. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and to bring this back full circle is somebody and did and still is studying what I just said to make sure that 11 minutes is the the sweet spot for your YouTube video. And not only that, but, you know, where to place ads if they're going to place ads in and all the other stuff so yeah science science really is all around us kids even if you're starting your own uh social media channel you're gonna get some science in there one way or the other because you're gonna have to figure out what's what works and what doesn't you know that's right yeah that's there, right yeah cool well great man i appreciate you doing this and um we can look forward to new episodes you said in september but in the meantime we've you've got what 24 episodes up right now that people can enjoy yes there's there's well there's eight full episodes right now and we'll be releasing our, oh the next 16 uh, yep our, our okay, ne- the next gotcha. 16 will be that will will be released starting in september okay and then the last order of business i don't know if you listened to the show before but uh the guest gets to pick out a coupon code which will be uh usable by uh listeners and shoppers at uh, cincyshirts.com oldschoolshirts.com and of course our two physical stores over the ryan and hyde park you can get 20 percent off your order and uh and what would you like the coupon code to be chris oh it's got to be science rocks there you go. Science rocks. All one word, folks. And uh, yeah, use that uh, until the next episode drops and go to our stores or shop online at either cincyshirts.com or oldschoolshirts.com. You can find yourself one of them trilobite shirts. I'm pretty sure we still have those. We did those at the Cincinnati Nature Center. And um, I reckon we're supposed to do some with the Museum Center, too. We need to follow up with those folks. And uh, yeah, go watch Chris's show. Uh, go get involved in some science. Go out in your backyard and find some trilobites. And um and I guess we'll talk to you again soon, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Chris Anderson. 
I don't know if we used this track as a playout before. I'm thinking we did, although I know we used Blinded by Science by Thomas Dolby for somebody, and I remember imploring you back then to look into that man's work beyond uh, She Blinded Me with Science. And similarly, I urge you to explore Oingo Boingo Beyond Weird Science, a comparatively inferior track when set against the rest of their catalog. Uh, they had two top 100 hits. That was one of them. Uh, weird Science got the 56 just another day. You might have heard in uh, Stranger Things, got the 85, uh, and that is just criminal. So go back and if you go to Spotify, I reckon it'll rank all the their top tunes uh, better than it would reflecting their chart uh, position. But anyway, back to Chris. Uh, catch him and his crew on YouTube. Just look up Science Around Cincy. Like I said, there's nice, short, little bite-sized videos for you to explore, and uh, they're really cool, and we're looking forward to those other 16 episodes coming out in mid-September, so stay tuned for those. And, of course, you can find Science Around Cincinnati on your internet machine as well, so a lot of fun there. Now, if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast or someone you'd like to have us back uh, on the podcast, well, just drop us an email, podcast at cincyshirts.com, and put podcast guest in the subject line. And you can tell us a little brief bio, one or two sentences, why this person would be a good fit for the show. We've had a few people do that, actually. Some of our uh, previous guests uh, just this past couple of months have come from listener suggestions. So thanks a lot, folks. Uh, And, of course, we've had John Keyswater on twice, Ronnie Salerno. He's the abandoned Cincinnati guy. And the haunted Cincinnati guy was on twice. So if there's someone you want to hear again and maybe we didn't cover a topic you wanted us to cover, well, just tell tell us about that in an email. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the tri-state. And if you haven't already, check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archives, 129 great episodes back there, everybody from Amy Yazbek to Johnny Bench uh, to Jeff Ruby. The Jeff Ruby one is a real big one. A lot of people enjoyed that one. Today's show is produced by me with all from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. You can find all of their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. I'm trying to get the uh, Big Nothing guy on the show, and I'm going to play a bunch of Cincinnati songs and also have him explain the story behind Cincinnati and Maybe they've been to Cincinnati. Maybe they haven't. We don't know, but he's been a little reluctant to do podcasts. I'm not sure why, but maybe we'll get that sorted. Anyway, find vintage t-shirts from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Philadelphia, and more at oldschoolshirts.com. Lots of old defunct teams like football, basketball, hockey, you know, uh, old malls, old restaurants, old clubs. That seems to be a popular one. It's like Cincy shirts, but for those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode is Science Rocks. It's all one word, all uppercase, all lowercase, doesn't matter. And you can use that to take 20% off your entire cincyshirts.com or oldschoolshirts.com order, or you can come into our stores in Hyde Park and over the Rhine and just tell the uh, your salesperson there that you would like to use the promo code ScienceRock, and they will take 20% off your order. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream this next time. Bye.
wish I said goodbye.